And I wanted to start by sharing with you a story um, from a luncheon I attended with my boys about a week and a half ago. Uh, Every year, the fifth grade teacher organizes a luncheon where all the students are invited to attend with their fathers and the fathers are encouraged to prepare in advance and then read for their fifth grader uh, a blessing. And uh, so we're at Applebee's a little over a week and a half ago and I'm listening to the other fathers read the blessing to their kids. One of the fathers mentioned when he got married, he had no desire to have hideous little creatures running around under foot and toe. And then he had that first one. And he quickly changed his mind. Another spoke of his fear and intimidation as he held his first daughter in his arms and then wondered, what am I supposed to do with this? (laughs) And as I listened to those stories, I, I had to chuckle to myself as I can remember thinking similar things. It was... Ten years into uh, being into our marriage where God provided a way for us to have kids. And we went to Medford, Oregon. We celebrated our 10th anniversary uh, adopting Seth and Joel. And I remember holding them, looking at them and thinking something like, now what? <laughs> and I'm, I'm so glad, however, we didn't have a total clean slate to start from because we had tried to attend classes and to prepare ourselves for what it meant to be a parent. And we wanted to do it in a godly way. And for a long time, since I did not grow up in a Christian home, it's been one of my primary desires in life to establish a godly lineage of Andersons. My wife has had that background. I have not. Together, we want to establish something new for generations to come should the Lord tarry. The question is, how do we do that? At times we have felt, you know, we got a grip on this. The key phrase, at times. The majority of the time we're scratching our head and wonder, asking the Lord for wisdom, leaning into Him, humbly Seeking his word and the counsel of other godly people to know how to do it God's way. And at times in the process of that, as we've discovered, I think, some principles from scripture and other godly people that really work. Then I've I've seen others with, I think, for the most part, an empathy when there's a child or children in the home and uh, the Ezos, we've done some Ezo training here on bringing up your kids God's way, uh, define when a child or children in the home are the focus point and all the events of life surround them. It's called demand style parenting. The primary focus is on the kids in the home. The marriage gets set aside, other things, church, youth group, different things sometimes even get set aside in that. And and I grieve when I see that. And then there's those times where I've felt a righteous indignation. I think. I say righteous because sometimes it's unnerving and I get a little angry. You know, you've seen it in Walmart or something. A child is throwing a temper tantrum. 
And the, and the parents speaking to them, oh, Johnny, 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 come on, you need to not, no, no, no. It's like, come on, scold the child at the very least, bring him to the bathroom and spank him or whatever. And we're going to talk about that more in the next couple of weeks. And some of you are turning me off already, spanking, oh, no. But, you know, whatever the, the model of discipline is, there's not much discipline. And don't judge me now because I know you've thought the same things. And maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, I need help with that. Well, that's the purpose of this series. As we continue our study in Ephesians, we're coming to chapter 6. And I invite you to turn there. It's page 677 if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you. And I'm calling this three-week series we're starting today, Reframing Postmodern Parenting. And this is the reason why. I think we've turned a corner in our culture to such an extent that even Christians are just buying into any parenting philosophy that they can get their hands on. And a lot of times it's nothing to do with the biblical principles found in God's Word. And I think we have increased that kind of parenting to such an extent that it's, it's almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for, almost not right in some people's minds to actually do it God's way. Or it's something considered to be new. So in counseling, there's this thing called reframing where you look at a problem that's going on in your life or a challenge through a different frame. And sometimes it really can transform the way you think about it and the way you respond to it. And so that's what I want to do is I want to reframe any false ideas we have about parenting. For those of you who are grandparents coming alongside your kids to helping them, for anyone in the body, it takes a community as it's has been said before to raise godly kids. So you have a part in this as well. Reframing postmodern parenting from Ephesians 6 through 1 through 4. Let's just read it first of all. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Now, the first thing I'd like to consider with you is the target or the vision. If you want to be a godly parent, a grandparent, or assist others in doing that, you have to know what you're aiming for, right? About a week and a half or a week or so ago, Seth pulled a gun on me. And I have to clarify, in this postmodern world, it was a toy gun, okay? And it was a dart gun. But it reminded me of the time, and I think partly because Moses is here, because I told this story in Liberia. A couple of years ago, he got one of those Nerf dart guns for Christmas. And we instructed him, and we instructed his brother. You know, you don't aim that at someone's face, or shoot it at people, but especially not their face. So one night, the rituals of bedtime, I go over to hug him and pray with him and stuff like that. All of a sudden, he pulls out this dart gun from underneath his pillow, wham, right in the face. And I was furious. Do you remember this, son? <laughs> he shake his head like, 
And I was, I, was, I was like, what are you thinking? And that's the whole point. He wasn't thinking. And let's just, lest we be too hard on kids, let's look at ourselves for a second. Sometimes we as parents have this ready-fire-aim response or philosophy when it comes to parenting, right? Sometimes we're not really thinking about what we're doing and why we're doing it. So it's important to define the target. What's the vision? What do we want our kids to end up like? Because what we're doing now is going to contribute to that. And somehow in our culture, we've lost the sense of this connection. Because postmodernism says you can do whatever you want and the end results will be whatever you want. So here, one of the things, well, let, let me back up. If we were to go out and we were to interview parents in our community, and you were to ask them, how do you want your kids to turn out? What do you want your kids to experience in life? You might, you might find many answers that would say something like, oh, I want a great life for my kids. I want them to live long. You know, I want them to have things that I didn't have and opportunities I didn't have. You'd probably hear some of that, right? Well, that's natural for any parent who loves their kids. And we see the same things in this passage. I want to look at three W's with you. And this is in your notes if you want to fill in the blanks. What God says, if you do it His way, these are the promises. They'll have a well life. And I'm going to say the next one to keep a W. Wide life, meaning long life. And then thirdly, a wise walk. So where do we see that in this passage? Well, it says here, children, obey your parents, honor your mother and father. And then verse three, here's the purpose that it may be well with you, that it'll go well with you and that you will live long on the earth. Well, where does the wise walk come into play? Well, verse four at the end, it says, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, let's just stop there for a second. They will have a well life, a wide life. You know, the Spock, live long and prosper. For those of you who are Star Trek fans. But a wise walk. Some of you might remember the instruction of Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 4 and following, where it talks about teach your children to obey the precepts of the Lord. Talk about them when you rise up, when you go to bed, throughout the course of your day, right? So Deuteronomy 6, 4. That's actually the Lord, the God's one, but surrounding that. Now, flip that. Do a little uh, dyslexic turn on that and think of Deuteronomy 4, 6. You don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. Listen to this. Obey the precepts, statutes of the Lord. Why? For, it says, this is your wisdom and understanding in the sight of of the peoples who hear. What is wisdom? Obeying the precepts of the Lord. In today's culture, obeying God's word is oftentimes considered not to be wise, but actually foolish. God's definition of wisdom is simply obeying His word. And then it goes on to say, In the sight of the peoples who hear and say, listen to this, Surely 
This great nation, speaking of Israel, is a wise and understanding people. Would you like others to define you as a wise and understanding person? Would you want your kids to be described by others as wise kids, wise and understanding people? If that's our goal, if that's our desire, the pathway to that is understanding and obeying the precepts of the Lord. Somehow we're missing this in a lot of ways. And to put it in another way, what do we want our kids to turn out like? Jesus. Isn't that the primary target? Listen to this. 1 Peter 2.21 To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. How He walked, how He thought, how He taught is how we should live and how we should want our kids to live. Amen? Here's another way of putting it. Romans 8.29 For those God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to what? The likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is the goal for all of us, is to be more like Christ. And praise God, one day we will be just like Jesus. Thanks to His grace. Amen. So how do we get there? That's the question, isn't it? So let's talk about some mission objectives that this passage lays out for us of how to achieve the results that we all want. And guess what, kids and teens that are here in this service? Listen up, because there's some really awesome things here. First of all, I want to tell you something that you're going to really like. And maybe some things you're not going to like so much. Here's the thing you're really going to like. Your mom and dad have a bigger boss than you. His name is God. All right? And so that's kind of a cool thing, right? Well, here's the second thing is under the inspiration of God, when Paul talks about what it looks like, remember Ephesians 5, to live a life of love a life of light and a walk of wisdom. He takes three of the four verses that he speaks to the issue of parenting and directs it directly to you as kids, as teenagers. That's pretty cool, huh? Here's the not-so-cool thing, perhaps. At least you might view it as that at times. And here's the mission objective. Youngins, young ones. You, this is God's word to you, God's message to you. God speaks directly to you. Isn't that neat? But here's the message to you. You must recognize your primary responsibility, as this passage states, is to obey and honor your parents. Some of you have memorized this verse. Some of you have done it long ago. Now, I understand how unpopular that can be in the circle of your friendships and how some of your friends would not get this at all. But please understand, verse 1, first of all, it says that's the right thing to do. 
That's the thing that will please God. But here's the second thing, and and this gets us to this next picture. Can you forward it for me? Froze up again. There we go. Consider your life kind of in this bubble. If you want to please God and do what's right, and if you want to experience a good life, a wise walk, and a long life, I think it was uh, Ted Tripp who called, called this passage a circle of blessing. You live within God's parameters, boundaries. It's to obey and honor your parents. That's how you are blessed. So you do it because it's right and it honors God and you do it because it brings blessing to your life. Now, just as a side note, Exodus twenty twelve says this, Honor your father and your mother. This is where the passage comes from that Paul is addressing or reminding the reader of. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, what does that mean? This promise was originally applied to the nation of Israel and the Jewish people as they're entering in the promised land. Some of you have memorized Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. So that what? So you may prosper. So you may have success in taking the land and being blessed by me, God. Now notice what Paul does as he refers to this passage. He changes a word. He changes the word from land to what? Live long on the earth. So what is he doing there? He's taking a principle and a promise that was given to the nation of Israel. And he's applying it to us today as a part of the church. This promise is the same. When we obey God, we're blessed. Now here's what it may not mean. You know, just like in Proverbs, for example, Proverbs 22, verse 6, many of us know that. Train up a child in the way he or she should go, and what's the promise? He will not depart from it. Now, could it be possible that a parent would do most things right and train up a child in the way they should go and instruct them in the ways of the Lord and that they would rebel from that? Absolutely. So the principle is more often than not, true. And so if you're obeying the Lord, the child dies early or is sick or whatever, it doesn't mean they're disobeying their parents necessarily. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said about this. I like how he defines what this promise is and what it's not. He's stating a principle, he says, when children obey their parents and the Lord, they will escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the things that could threaten or shorten their lives. Isabella is learning how to ride a bike. She's doing a great job with training wheels, but we still instruct her every time, stay on the sidewalk. Why? Because we want her to live long. We don't want her to play around in the street and not notice a car coming. He goes on to say, but life is also not measured only by quantity of time. It is also measured by quality of experience. God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long he may live on the earth. And then listen to what he closes. Kids, don't forget this. Sin 
always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. Adults, don't forget this. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. Obedience brings blessing. So young ones, please recognize your responsibility to obey and honor your parents. It will go well with you. You will honor God. You will be a testimony to others who do not know God that you might have an opportunity to lead them to Christ. There's no greater privilege than that to serve Him and honor Him, to be a voice for Him. Now, parents, you must recognize your primary responsibility is to help your children learn obedience. How do I do that? What do I do with this? You remember? The first thing that you should think when that happens, when you have that thought, feed it, water it, give it plenty of sunlight. No, that's plants. Okay, just seeing if you're still awake. The first thing you should think of. I need to help this child obey. To learn obedience. If that's all the thing you're focused on when it comes to parenting, you'll be in good shape. Now let's talk about for a moment the soberness of this change or cha- uh, charge. Does obedience really matter? How often... Have you seen and how often have you done this? I know I have at times. Ask a child, you one of your kids to do something and you know they 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 say, "Oh, I love you, mom, dad." You know, cute disobedience. Does that happen ever? It's really hard to follow through on uh, calling them to respond then, isn't it? This is why you must because there's times where their life really will depend on it. I remember walking with our boys around the neighborhood once, and we constantly instructing them, you know, stop, look both ways, and then as they started learning to ride their bikes, and we rode with them in the community. And I don't remember which one of them it was, but I think it was a time they were riding their bike, we shouted, stop! Because we saw a car coming. And they stopped, just like that. Now, I'm not saying they always respond that quickly, but thank God they did then. And they had learned, at least in some form, a pattern of obedience because it it could have literally saved their life that day. See, it's not just in the life and death situations they must obey. It's in the day in, day out, even the cute, disobedient acts. Here's some strategies to consider. Number one, we kind of talked about this already. Take seriously the charge. And and then here's the second part, though. Be consistent. We've already given some illustrations how important this is and why it's important. But here's another. And perhaps one of the primary ones. Years ago, I read a book by Chuck Swindoll. And the phrase, for some reason, just stuck with me. And he said this. About your kids, about mine, your grandkids. My future grandkids, hopefully. Your kids have the bents. And what he was saying by that is all of our kids are born sinners. They're born crooked. 
And this is what the postmodern world would say is that they're born innocent or with a clean slate or they're even born good. But it's things like society, a lack of education, lack of food, lack of whatever that causes that neutral slate to turn bad or that good to turn bad. No, that's not what God says at all. It says they're born with a sin nature. I remember teaching on this one time. I had a parent come up to me afterward and said, you know, that is a game changer. Yeah, it is. That philosophy that's from the Bible is a game changer because it changes the very fundamentals of how we go about parenting. You see, when they're young, especially, it's, they have to, you have to start young. It's not that it's impossible to turn if they're older, but it's much easier when they're young. Condition them, help them to obey you without challenge. We're going to look at some other things, excuse, without delay. Why? Because you're helping straighten what's bent about them. You're helping them realize there is right and wrong. And it's not the goal necessarily that you want them to respond to you just like that all the way through their life. Unless they come back and want to live with you when they're 30. (laughs) And that happens too, right? But the goal is to help them to learn obedience so, so that when they get a little older and they start understanding who God is and the boundaries. By the way, kids, kids need security and a sense of significance. Adults need that. You know what provides that? Clear boundary lines. When we first moved into our house, there was no backyard fence at all. We felt very nervous about our, our then two, just turned two-year-olds running around the backyard. So we put a privacy fence in. And you know what that did? It gave us a sense of security and we didn't have to watch them so closely. But it also gave them a sense of security. And they could... Just have a blast out there. They felt comfortable within the confines of those boundaries. That's exactly what God's principles do for them and for us. So the goal is when they are young to help them understand those boundaries so that when they start understanding who God is, what Jesus has done for us, then they can start transferring their obedience to you, to God, their heavenly father. So consequently, seeking first-time obedience every time in an honorable way is extremely important. Especially when they're young. Now, what does that look like? Now, I love Ted Tripp and his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. He gives three things that I think are excellent points. What does first-time obedience look like? It's obeying without challenge without excuse, and then thirdly, without delay. Let me give you some examples. Without challenge. How many of you ever heard this in your home? It's not fair. How come I always have to? And you fill in the blank. What is that? That's challenging, right? And so, at that point, if they're a little bit older... Say, okay, what are you doing right now? Uh, I'm challenging. I'm disobeying. Yeah. 
What do you need to do right now? Obey. That's a good idea. And if they do, good choice. If not, consequence. And you've already talked about what that consequence is. They understand the boundary. If they're earlier age, then, then once they understand the boundary, the consequence is immediate. No or very seldom second chances. And it starts young. And I know I've told this story before, but it just is etched in my mind. When Seth and Joe were about 16 months old, we had a bigger open house. And we didn't want to corral them all over, run all over chasing after them. So we taught them there was a wooden threshold between the living area and the dining room area. And we taught them not to cross that line, but to play within that line. They understood where that line was. And they would push the envelope on that line. They would crawl, you know, over the line. And they'd look back. They'd crawl a little bit more. And they'd look back. And then they'd lay halfway across the line, look back. They knew exactly what they were doing. And so as soon as they crossed the line, boom, you know, we tap them on the hand on the bottom, just enough to realize, okay, that's the consequence. No warning. First time obedience, without excuse. But I have all this homework to do, uh, but this, but that. And the other thing I just, you know, I mentioned this at first service too, is it's really interesting to me how kids have selective hearing. You know, my, Alona and I can have a conversation in the other room. And all of a sudden, they butt in on it. Oh, well, Dad, what about that? What'd you? Oh, let me. Th- this is what I think about that. And, and we stop. We look. We say, "Was Mom and Dad talking to you?" No. Okay. <laughs> you know this story, don't you? But then, when you ask them to do something. Uh, son, Isabella, did you hear Dad? Oh, no, no, I didn't hear you. It's amazing. But the point I'm trying to make, sometimes this falls under without challenge or without excuse. Sometimes they are deliberately ignoring you, and then they're giving you the excuse, oh, I didn't hear you. And you as a parent know your child well enough to know when they're doing that or not. If they are doing that deliberately, you got to toe the line. There's got to be some consequences because that is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And this is where they pull out a lot of manipulative tricks. It's bedtime. Oh, Dad, can I have another hug? Can I have another kiss? Now, how about one more story? You read that so well. You read stories so good, Dad. Oh, man, they're good at that, you know? What are they doing? They're delaying bedtime. And this is, that's when it's most hard, I think, to toe the lines, when, the, when it's so cute and when it seems to be really no stakes involved. And then this is the other thing we have tried to address. And the reason is because... 
By the way, in all this, what we're trying to do is not, as parents, as grandparents, as a community developing kids, we're not trying to get them to abide by external rules alone. What we're trying to do is to fashion the attitudes of the heart. Jesus said, out of the heart comes what? All kinds of evil things. And he lists it out in Mark. I think it's chapter 7. So we're trying to not just get them to obey external rules, but understand the heart that perpetuates challenging authority, giving excuses, doing it with delay. Okay, so here's an attitude of the heart you have to address too. Not just the things we've mentioned, but when there's a... Ah, okay. After you ask them to do something. Why? Because that's an attitude of disobedience. That's an attitude in the heart of rebellion. So some of you are saying, well, shouldn't we consider different age stages? Absolutely. And let's just talk about that for a minute. We must consider their developmental stage. In Hebrews 5.8, there's a fascinating verse. Remember, we looked at earlier, one of the goals we should have in parenting and raising kids in our church is to help them to live, think, and act like Jesus. And this fascinating verse in Hebrews 5.8 says this, Jesus, remember who is perfect, who never sinned, learned obedience. Isn't that amazing? Through the things he suffered. What's the principle? Make your kids suffer. No, no, that's not the principle, okay? (laughs) The principle is this. It's incremental. It's even Jesus had to learn things about what obedience looked like. And in Luke chapter 2, 52, it says that Jesus, even as a a 12, 13-year-old, grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew in favor with God and man. It's a process. Not a product that we arrive to overnight. For example, when a child is younger and you know your kids the best, you can't give them three instructions and expect them to obey every one. For example, I want you to pick up your toys. I want you then to take the trash, go to the trash, throw all this in the trash, and then go to your room and just play for a little while before dinner. At a certain stage, a child can't comprehend all of that and remember all of that, so it would be unfair and cruel to expect them to obey all that, correct? So there's a little common sense involved here. Further, you can't give a description to like a two- or four-year-old, depending on their developmental process, a rule you want them to follow and then expect them to remember it for the rest of their life. So the point of that is that, uh, for example, you know, we took the Ezo interrupt rule and we implemented that when the kids were younger. You know, if you want to talk to mom and dad, if we're talking to someone at church, you come up to us and you put your hand on our arm just so we know you you want our attention for a minute. And then you wait and then we'll address you as soon as we can. It's addressing respect for the conversation, for the other people. And so, you know, we worked on that. Uh, But it would have been unfair to expect them to remember that all the time and give consequences just like that. 
And so sometimes they'd come up and they'd just start talking right in the middle of the conversation I'm having with someone. I said, remember the interrupt rule? Just real quick. Oh, yeah. Okay, no consequences there. You're reminding. All right, maybe giving them an opportunity to remember. And this goes to this next chart, and this is in your notes. And um, this is, if you're teachers, you've probably seen some of this in your education books. It's in Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's in uh, some of the materials Chip Ingram has produced on parenting. But look at the top there, rules, the different stages. Rules to relationship to reasons to resolve. And then underneath, you have concrete thinking to abstract thinking in the different age groups. And again, you have to apply common sense with your kids because it might vary depending on your kids and the stage. For zero to five, it should be all about seeking immediate obedience and focusing on the what, the instructions, getting them to understand the boundaries and then consequences when they cross the boundaries. Why? Because they don't understand yet the more abstract reasons for what you're asking them to do. And this is why I think parents, when, you're, when the kids are younger, you shouldn't go to them and say, what do you want to wear today? You want to wear this or this? They can't process all that. You just give them something to wear. What do you want to eat today? No. This is what mom has fixed. That's what you're going to eat today. And they become a lot less finicky and eaters that way as well. But here's an example. Is, uh, when I was a kid, I, I'm told, I don't remember this, but I, I was trying to explain something to my dad when he came home, and I was stuttering and stammering all my words, and my dad looked at me and said, okay, just spit it out. And I'm just like, what? Just spit it out. And so I kind of went, okay. <clears throat> and I spit on the kitchen floor. I couldn't process the abstract of that phrase and what that meant. I took it literally. Then you go on to six and seven, they start being able to process some of that. Then you add not just the what, but who is involved. For example, how many of you have ever had kids or grandkids fight over a toy? That's never happened in your home, right? Okay, so what, what is the temptation? The temptation for a parent as they get older is to stay in the zero to five stage. You bark orders. Give that kid, you know, give that toy to your brother. Just do it. Or something like, who had it first? That doesn't make sense. Number one, they don't tell the truth. And number two, it doesn't really address the issue. So something like this is saying, okay, who gave that toy to you? And you wait for the response. If they don't know, you help them. Mom and dad. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so, so who gave mom and dad the money to buy that toy. Oh, God. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so so what do you think God would want you to do with that toy? I'll share it with my brother or my sister. Yeah. So who's going to share first? See what you're doing? You're bringing God into the equation. You're teaching stewardship. You're teaching the value of another person and honoring their preferences above. You're teaching them selflessness. So the who and the what. And then the next stage is 11 to 12 and a little bit above. Is that involving the why after that. They start developing more and more reason skills. And they start noticing that their peers are doing certain things that 
they're being asked not to do. So why? So you have to allow for some of this questioning at this point. So why can't I do that? So-and-so's parents are letting them do that. And then, so you go, well, um, first of all, we're not so-and-so's parents. And secondly, let's talk about this. Let's say it's a movie they're wanting to go to that really is inappropriate. You know, some other parents might let you go to this movie. And I've been appalled. Remember the Lord of Rings? I don't know if you've ever seen those movies. But I I saw some three- and four-year-olds in those movies watching orcas and blood and guts and all kinds of things. I thought, what are these parents thinking? So anyway, you describe, it's like, okay, what does God say about this? And this, this, these are the reasons why. They still might not agree with you, and you still hold the line. But at least you've taught them. And one of the things we want to do is not just to teach, you know, Awana. And I appreciated one of the, uh, Cody was telling me one time, he was listening to Awana verses being uh, recited. And uh, it was just really interesting because they, they memorized, this person memorized the wrong passage. And all the questions were on the right passage. And they didn't put the two together that that passage didn't make sense with those questions. And uh, so then, but it illustrates the point is, it's not just about Bible memory. And I appreciate Cody then talking with this person, you know, what does this mean? What does that mean? It's not just teaching Bible knowledge, but it's trying to get them to develop a sense of conviction. So that when they are approached with this situation, when you're not around, they follow through on not just what they know, but what they've developed as a core conviction. So you have to explain the reasons why and the principles of Scripture. And then when we get to, you know, upper teenage years, and here it says 16 to 17, you get back to the what. Speaking of what do you want to experience as a result of your behavior? And this is where we need great wisdom and the ability to talk with them and that's at times give them the choice to make the decision and you affirm with them you love them no matter what and sometimes you let them make the wrong choice and experience the painful consequences of that. There's no hard fast lines in that I don't think and I hope I can do that when I'm more in that stage. But listen to this as we start to wrap up. The number one problem, someone said, in teaching our kids obedience is when they're small, we talk too much. Oh, would you like this or that to eat? Would you want to wear this or that? Then he goes on to say, and then when they get older in the teen years, we talk too little. Isn't that good? And one of the principles I've been reminded of often for myself. The focus must be on what's best for them and not for you, not for me. And that's hard to do because sometimes their their behavior is embarrassing in public. And you can be tempted to overreact or underreact or not react at all. Sometimes the pressure for you as a parent is strong to act like the world does instead of how God prescribes. Parenting's not about us. It's about God, about the child, what we want them to end up like. And then closing the sound of this charge. What I mean by this, two things. One, as I was praying through this and thinking of how you would be processing this, I imagine that some of you 
might be hearing what is being spoken this morning through this kind of a grid. That sounds crazy. That sounds restrictive. That sounds domineering. And I'm not judging you. I just want to throw this out as a thought. Could it be, if you feel that way, that it's possible that you've allowed the postmodern world to change your thinking in such a way you view it as restrictive, crazy, out of date, whatever. And secondly, the sound of this charge, another reason I use that word is because the Greek word for obey in the New Testament is hupo, which means to be under. Or to uh, uh, under. And then to be under is akuo, which we get the English word acoustic, like acoustic guitar producing sounds. So when you put them together, you get under the hearing of. Maybe it's just my mind, but I think that's really neat. How does one gain a hearing with kids? And how does God gain a hearing with us so that we can gain a hearing with them? We're going to talk more about that next week and invite you to come back. But today, I just want to invite you to think about how does God want you to apply this? Maybe it's just in terms of, oh, I just got to cry out to God in prayer for help, for wisdom. You know, maybe it's backing off a little bit and not being so tolerant, giving some of your older kids or grandkids an opportunity to, in respect and with honor, to ask questions about what you're asking them to do. Maybe it's that you're being way too lenient and you're allowing disobedience through excuses, through challenges, through delays in responding, whatever it is. Maybe you're not a parent or grandparent right now. How can you come alongside and help someone else? How can you pray for them? Is there a parent that you can start praying for right now? However it is that God would want you to respond, let's just take a moment and talk to him about that. Father, we come to you today. And Lord, I admit, even as a pastor, sometimes I wonder, Lord, this just seems too harsh. And I know that that's not accurate. Lord, because your desire for us is that we might experience the abundant life in Christ. You are the creator, not us. You are God, not us. Lord, you have instituted principles of how parenting really works. So, Lord, I pray whatever way you've challenged us today to apply this message, Lord, that we would not shrink back from following you fully, Because the very end result of our lives, the very future generations of of the church rest and the young people in our midst. We thank you for them. We thank you for the responsibility. We want to steward it well. So help us in Jesus' name. Amen.